We are in Hebrews chapter 12. I think we stopped at verse 3 last week. Going to go back, remember in chapter 11, uh, we saw all these great characters of faith. We tried to discuss something in the first part of the chapter about uh, the nature of faith, uh, the necessity of faith, and then really the results of faith. And these people that we read about in chapter 11, and remember every one of them because of their faith, they resulted, that faith resulted in action on their part. Basically their faith resulted in obedience. It should be the same way for us today. Then you get to chapter 12 and verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are accomplished or we're surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses. And I think we talked about who these witnesses are. Well, these witnesses in the context of chapter 12 and verse 1 are basically all these people in chapter 11. How is it that they're witnesses? Some people say they're witnesses because they are actually aware of the things taking place on earth today and they're observing the things that are taking place on earth today and so they're seeing it and so they're witnessing. I I am not of that belief. I think it's contrary to what the Bible teaches, especially, uh, well, really there's nothing in the Bible that supports that ideal, number one. But number two, you look at Ecclesiastes, for example, the dead know nothing under the sun of this present day's activity. So I don't take that position. Some would say, well, they're, used, they're called witnesses here, uh, metaphorically, uh, simply saying it's like they were cheering us on. It's as if they were cheering us on. It's just a figure of speech. Well, that might be. I still don't think that's the right interpretation of it either, though. I think it's the idea that their lives serve as a testimony, or these people's lives serve as a witness to the fact that you can stay faithful and remain faithful even under difficult situations. And he's kind of continuing that thought somewhat in chapter 12. But keep in mind, these characters we read about, these people in chapter 11, truly were faithful and they obeyed in what was very difficult circumstances. And you see the way they suffered because of it. So these are the witnesses in verse 1. Again, I think it's just the fact that their lives serve as witness or their lives give testimony to the fact that we can be faithful no matter what our circumstances may be. Let us lay aside every weight, anything that's going to uh, make it more difficult for us to run this race. Let's uh, lay it aside and get rid of it. And the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience. That has the ideal of endurance now. The race that is set before us. We didn't talk about this much, I don't think, last week, last time we met. But the race is actually an interesting word here. If you read read this and let's run this race which sounds easy enough and easy enough to understand and I suppose it is. It's the idea that we're running a race. We need to have patience and endurance and we need to finish this race. Um, You know, different things could be said about this race. For example, a lot of times if you're going to run a track race or something like that today, generally there's one winner. Uh, This race is not limited to one winner everybody could actually win in that regard because they could all any of us hopefully hopefully we'll all have the crown of life one day so any it's not limited to one winner but the race here is interesting the word race is interesting to me because in the greek language in which this was written it actually has a word it's the same word um a-g-o-n-a is how we're going to transliterate it in english that's not the greek letters but uh it's the word from which we get our English word agony 
or the verb form of that agonize. And that's interesting, isn't it? If you look in some of the uh, this, uh, concordances, not concordance, but uh, lexicon, I'm sorry. If you look in some of the lexicons here, it has even the description of a struggle or a violent struggle. It's something that's actually done with a lot of difficulty. Um, uh, the race, we're going to agonize. It's, it's a struggle. And it's a struggle that often is accompanied by lots of conflict. See, it's not just, it's much more than just the idea we're going to run this race and hopefully win it. But we're going to have endurance, patience to uh, overcome the conflict that we face, overcome the struggles we face. And this race is one that does require uh, effort and that we strive. The idea of agony and agonize here over this. Um, and let us run with patience in the race that is set before us. I don't claim to be well versed in the Greek language. I wish I were more uh, skilled in it, whatever the word is, more skilled in it than I am. Uh, but that being said, I would suggest something that y'all may be interested in doing anyway. You don't have to learn Greek to understand the New Testament. I'm not saying that at all. There are times, particularly when you look at this word race, there are times when if you do, it kind of helps you have, a, I think, a deeper understanding of the scriptures. And so while it's not necessary to learn the language, I think it would probably be helpful if you're interested in doing this sometime, even just getting some basic uh, Greek language tools, for example, Vine's expository dictionary of New Testament words. You don't have to know Greek to use that. You don't really even have to know the Greek language. You just look up the word in English and it tells you the Greek word that it came from though and tells you a little bit more about the meaning of the word that you might see otherwise. Looking unto Jesus then, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, we discussed that I believe, that he knew the joy that would result from his going to the cross and because of that, he endured the cross. Well, we should endure our race as well because we understand the joy that will result in the end. Despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, can, now look at verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. If you're reading from the King James, it says, who endured such contradiction of sinners, just as ideal really of ill, treat, of ill treatment. And that's that's an understatement. I don't know what the New King James may say in that or the ESV. Hostility. 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 See, the mistreatment, hostility, and, and they, were, they were certainly very hostile, but he endured all of that because he knew what the result would be of his going to the cross. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, this hostility, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Otherwise, you know, look at Christ. So if we look at Christ and the way he was treated, yet what does the Bible tell us about Christ's behavior or response while he was being treated this way? He was, he was like a lamb taken to slaughter, was he not? Uh, he didn't really, um, um, I can't find the word I'm looking for here, but certainly he, he, didn't, he didn't speak up as far as talking back against them or anything like that. And he endured this. Uh, for us, and so verse 3, when we consider Christ, 
And when we consider how Christ was mistreated and yet he endured that hostility, it should give us motivation to keep going on and stay faithful, should it not? And that's why he's telling us in verse 3, consider him that endured this hostility of sinners against himself. Otherwise, and I'm paraphrasing this in verse 3, but otherwise you will become weary and faint. The faint, the idea of quit. Why do people faint? I'm not talking about physically fainting now. I'm talking, you know, the Bible tells us, I believe in Galatians 6, says we have opportunity to let us do good unto all men. And within that context, it says, let us not grow weary in well-doing. Uh, for in due season we shall reap. He says, if we faint not. And we've known people who have fainted, spiritually speaking now. Why do you suppose people faint? I mean, what are some of the different reasons? I think... Maybe they haven't really de- ever developed their faith like it ought to be. You know, you, you need to, you know, I, I believe you have faith. I believe you can, you can increase your faith and you can strengthen your faith and your faith can, can be abounding. And so you have it worth more than you did previously. I think sometimes people never do what they need to do to, to strengthen their faith, uh, to encourage their faith. Sometimes people think and they can simply become distracted by the things of the world. You see that in, the, in the, the parable of the hearts, really, the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. Sometimes people become distracted by the things of the world. You know, there are a lot of things that are competing for our attention, are there not? A lot of things in the world that compete for our attention, and, and, and sometimes it, it doesn't need to be sinful things. Sometimes it's just things that can be good in and of themselves. But yet, when we become so involved with so many things, before you know it, you've crowded God out of your life. Like, I've got no time for God. And we, we let the most important thing out. You know, a lot of reasons, sometimes people can, why can people faint? Why do they faint? Maybe their faith's not what it ought to be. Maybe they just become distracted, you know, by the things of the world. Yes, sir? Sometimes they're just not diligent. Sometimes they're not diligent enough. Think about this. He's telling us already, run this race. And it's from the word we get agonized. It's, it's struggle, isn't it? And, and they need to look in the times and already we've seen the book of Hebrews really where we found the word diligence. And you need to give diligence and care and put forth the effort. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God. I've often thought, and I still think, people don't really use that verse the way it's meant to be used. Um, because we say, study to show thyself approved unto God, and the workman needs not to be ashamed. Almost like, the more I study, the more I'll know, and the more I'll know, the more God will be pleased with me. Well, I'm all for Bible study. I'm not against Bible study. But he's saying, study to show thyself approved unto God. That's the point. We need to be people who God will approve of and who will look down, God will look down on us approvingly. The word study in the American Standard in 1901 there is actually translated be diligent, Doug, be diligent. And that's the point. What he's saying is, you know, uh, when you were in school, were you a diligent student? Now, you don't have to answer that and tell on yourself. But, but think about the idea of being student, uh, being student of, of a student being studious. What does it mean to be studious? It's like 
you're taking this seriously and you're putting forth the effort. You're trying to make a good grade or whatever. You're trying to learn the material. You're trying to soak it in. You're trying to have this self-discipline that makes you a good student. He is, he is very studious. That's the point when he says, study to show thyself approved unto God. He's not deciding to learn, learn a whole bunch of stuff because the more you learn, the more God will approve of you. And I'm not, I'm not downplaying Bible study. I'm saying he's saying, be studious, or the American Standard in 1901, be diligent, see, to show yourself approved unto God. That's my take on Timothy 2.15 anyway. Go, yes, sir. If you go back to the race thing, you know, you can be the most prepared runner, especially once you get out to your longer races, your half marathons, your marathons, and you can be the most prepared racer there. But if you just take off running, and you don't, they, along the way, they have hydration stations. They give you something to drink, to build your body back up. They give you, even, you can even get a bite of something to eat while you're running to continually build up and get stronger as you go because you're wearing yourself down. Christian race is exactly the same thing. You've got to hydrate yourself as you're in this race or you're going to... See, it's a, and that's a very good point. It's like you've got to, uh, so some can faint. It's not the best. Some can faint because they're hungry or thirsty, but not, not really. That's not the reason for fainting. It's kind of like some can faint because their hunger and thirst is not satisfied. Maybe that's a better way to put it. But it's like along this race, you've got to take time to hydrate. You've got to take time to maybe Maybe eat something real quick to kind of keep you going. Let you make sure you've got the energy and the stamina to finish and keep going. Yes, the point is you've got to you've got to kind of feed yourself yes. with what your physical body needs. Well, Christians, we've got to constantly feed ourselves with what the spiritual part of us needs. I, I, I'm, I mean, I'm telling you, today we have. I believe today we have zero excuse not to be knowledgeable of the Word of God. We just really have zero excuse, honestly. We've, got, we've all got Bibles we can read. I'm getting to where for some reason I think I like to listen to stuff more and more. I'm not sure why, as opposed to just reading. Um... You'll be surprised, maybe not surprised, but you'll be surprised how much good stuff you can find on YouTube. Uh, you go to YouTube and Google Johnny Ramsey Preacher. You'll find a couple hundred sermons on there easy. And I mean, it is really good preaching like the way people preached 50 years ago. Um, you know, you can. what's wrong with listening to one of those every evening? Or something else. There's all kinds of all kinds of congregations now that have their services online and stuff. Uh, the, the, between World Video Bible School and just all kinds of there's there's tons of material out there. So it's like, well, if I don't read as well as I used to, that's fine. Watch some of this stuff. And what what would be wrong with with listening to a sermon or watching a program for 30 or 45 minutes every evening? You're feeding yourself spiritually. I hope you're not too busy to do that because people do that with silly television programs and stuff that doesn't feed themselves. But, but that's exactly right. You've got to feed yourself. You've got to feed yourself. And we know if we don't take care of our physical bodies, 
what will happen. We need to feed ourselves spiritually as well. Take time. Take time to feed yourself. Um, see, but Christ, Christ endured that for me, verse 3. And I look at Christ, it should motivate me to keep on going and not faint. You know, some faint simply because I think they just get tired. They're just tired. Well, yeah, I guess everybody gets tired, but sometimes people get tired to the point that they just faint and quit. Yes, sir. Okay, it's a lot harder than I expected. Now, I need to be careful how I say this because the Christian life is not so hard that you cannot do it. But I do think living a life of a Christian is a lot harder than most people, including most Christians, realize. The Bible does say you've got to count the cost. And sometimes we have this idea that as long as I'm here regularly and things, I'm, I am a faithful Christian. I think being a Christian, listen, verse, verse 1 here, we're going to agonize over this. We're going to count the cost. We're going to be diligent, meaning put forth the effort. We're going to strive, see, to, to walk this narrow path. Uh, the Bible tells, I've often wondered, you know, the Bible tells us, all who will live righteous or a godly life shall suffer persecution. And we say shall as if that is a certainty that if you live a godly life, you will suffer persecution. Does the Bible not say that? And when I think about that, honestly, I wonder how come I'm not being persecuted? Is it because I'm not living as I ought? Am I, am I not doing what God wants me to do? Or does that verse somehow just not apply to me? I mean... I've been called names because of some things I've written and put in different places. I've been called names. I've been laughed at. I've been made fun of it. Fun of. But you know what? I don't even consider that persecution. When I read Hebrews 11, when I look at what Jesus went through, it's like, no, I haven't never been persecuted like that. And I think, why not? Does that just, did that verse just apply to those people of that day? Does it somehow not apply to me? Is it maybe I'm really not living godly as God wants me to live, and that's why I'm not. Something to think about, isn't it? Because we get comfortable. We get comfortable sometimes. I think the, um, I think somebody said one time that uh, the Scriptures ought to comfort the afflicted, but at the same time should afflict the comfortable. If you know what, kind of think about that and what that means. But verse 4, he says, Stay, stay faithful and endure because you have not yet resisted uh, under blood, striving against sin. You're going to strive. Here's the word striving now. Be diligent and strive against sin. Listen, there is a war going on. No wonder Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God. There's a battle going on. It's a, it's a war going on. And you're going to find yourself on the winning side or the losing side. And that's your decision. But uh, striving now against sin. You have not resisted under blood. What's he talking about thing? I think, well, I think he's saying there you haven't. Uh, resisted against sin now to the point that these people did in chapter 11. You haven't experienced that. Where Paul was let down in a basket over a wall because if they hadn't, they were going to kill him. They were going to kill him if he hadn't. 
Um, these people in chapter 11, their faith was truly tested, wasn't it? And this is something you can disagree or agree, you know, but whatever you agree or disagree, please just think about it. I think a lot of times we can go through life, and I'm including myself in this, I think a lot of times we can go through life without our faith ever really being tested. Have any of you, you know, well, I don't know, maybe maybe you have, I don't know, but I mean, sometimes our faith isn't, I don't think it's really been tested. And, and so you wonder, if my faith were tested, how would I respond? I'd like to say, well, I'd pass the test. But before we look at others and say, well, I would never do that, or, well, you need to think about it. If you haven't been in that situation, you don't know exactly how you would react, do you? But that's why in the meantime, we need to keep on feeding ourselves, still you said, and preparing ourselves and strengthening our faith, increasing our faith. You have forgotten, verse 5, the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, for nor faint when you are rebuked of him. I believe that's from one of the Psalms, and I can't remember right now which one it is. Um, but he says, you have forgotten this. Did you forget the exhortation? How could they, they forgot it? Because they should have already known it. And it's in the Old Testament well, from, from the Psalms. But you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children. Now, the way uh, think about this, the way a physical parent, particularly a physical father, is going to discipline their child. Uh, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you're rebuked of him. When, when we're being chastened now by God, this is interesting to me. I don't have very many answers for this, but uh, does the Lord chasten us somehow? And as ideal discipline, it says he does. How does he do that? Let's go on to verse 6. <laughs> no, let's stay in 5 here. But how does he do that? That was my way of saying I don't always know how that takes place. Does God put things in our lives that will that will chasten us? Does He cause something to happen in our lives that will discipline us? Uh, I tend to think so, but I'm not going to be real dogmatic about something I don't understand fully. So, uh, but I think He does. But notice He said, however, whatever the you think of that, the point of verse 5 is simply don't despise God's chastening. Don't despise it. Because, verse 6, whom, he, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Uh, how could you possibly say you love your child and you don't discipline your child? It's the same way with God. The discipline or the chastening is a sign of his love, is it not? If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with son. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Who is it that the father wouldn't discipline? But if you be without chastisement, verse 8, whereof all are partakers, well then you're basically Ill illegitimate children and you're not sons. So, How many of us have, have not felt guilty at a lesson that's hit us straight between the eyes? Yeah. From the pulpit, or from just reading our reading our Bibles, you know how many of us have looked at looked at Scripture and just went, 
know, I need to change. This is, this is yeah, this is, this is written to me. This is talking about me. I need, I, you know, it hits you between the eyes. and like, I need to do something here. Um, look at verse 9. Now, you see a contrast in verse 9. He says, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh. That's your physical father. I think that's what he's talking about, your physical father. We have had fathers of our flesh that corrected us, and we gave them respect. All right? If that's the case, verse 9, and it is, then he says, Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father, not of our flesh, but to the father of spirits and live? Your physical father disciplines you, and you, hopefully you respond, you know, with respect toward him. But he's saying, listen, if that's the way it is, shall we not much rather, I think he's saying, shall we not even more then be in subjection to God who disciplines us in spiritual matters? See, again, thinking long term about the spiritual. For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. So that tells me in verse 10 then, God's chastisement or God's discipline is profitable for us. Isn't that what took place in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preached that gospel lesson to them, told them that they had murdered the Son of God, and then in Acts 2 and verse 37, they were pricked to the heart. You know, they, they were feeling the chastisement of God for what they had done in their lives. It was for their profit it, that they would turn and repent in, in verse 38 when Peter would tell them. Is that not how it, God chastises us? Well, it would certainly include that, would it not? Uh, but notice he says it's for our profit, verse 10. We're better off. How does discipline make us better off? I mean, really, discipline makes us a better person, doesn't it? Discipline should help us to see our faults and correct our faults. Um, when we're being disciplined here from a spiritual standpoint, like he's talking about, well, this kind of discipline really helps our eternal well-being, not just the temporary things on this earth. Uh, so it's for our, it really is for our better. God chasing us because he loves us, and it's for our uh, better that he does, for our better eternal being that he does this. For they verily, verse 10, for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Uh, now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous, you know, in the short term, the present. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, the shaking or trembling knees almost has the idea of paralyzed knees here. And make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, uh, but let it rather be healed. Verse 14, follow peace with all men. Well, Romans 12 tells us as much as lieth in you, as much as impossible with us, live peaceably with all men. And the Bible never talks about peace at all costs. Uh, the Bible also talks about the gospel is going to divide. So he's not talking about peace at all costs. But simply as much as it is possible with us, as much as we can, we need to strive for, verse 14, follow. The word means strive for peace with all men and holiness. Notice he says, without which no man shall see the Lord. 
holiness. Uh, I, I think, so this is my opinion on this, I guess, but I think that oftentimes in the church we can emphasize being a part of the one church. We can emphasize the necessity of baptism. We can emphasize getting the, so many of the doctrinal matters right. We can emphasize the Lord's Supper on the first day of every week. And we can emphasize those things. And we don't really emphasize living a holy life the way we ought. I can't become involved with so many things that the world is involved in. I'm to be holy, sanctified, Set apart from that, without it, meaning outside of it. And notice he tells me in verse 14, Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. See, this is why we probably need to emphasize more living a holy life. Because if you do all those other things, you're still not going to see God without holiness. He wants us to be holy people living a holy life. And that means I'm going to have to keep my mind pure. I'm going to have to keep my heart pure. I'm going to have to keep my motives pure. See, my thoughts are going to have to be pure. I've got to be holy and I can't, I can't become involved in so many things the world is in. Listen, this world is really mixed up and confused. I hope you don't feel at home here. But when you see so much of these things, do they bother you? I mean, I hope so. Are there some things you really don't even want to talk about? I mean, the Bible talks about evil deeds that we that really don't necessarily even need to be talked about or discussed in a certain context. You know, do we do this, or we just, or do we just sort of tolerate it and put up with it and say, "Well, here it is," you know, here it is. Uh, but we need to strive to live holy lives. Let's see where we're at. There's our word diligently in verse 15. We're going to stop at verse 15. Looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. What does it mean to fail of the grace of God? Obviously it does not mean once saved, always saved, does it? Lest any man fail of the grace of God. Uh, next time we meet we will pick up at verse 15.